Well, did you bring your Bibles to the house of God? Can I see your Bibles? Can I see your Bibles, whether it's in your hand or on your phone? And uh, just can I just, would you raise it up? Just say, I got my Bible in my hand. That's awesome. That's awesome. Also, bring a notebook with you. And, uh, and so take some notes. You can go back and kind of reminisce on these notes and, and see what God is doing. And listen, this is why we take notes. So God can speak to us. And then we see what God is saying, not only through the word, not only through the sermon, but what he's saying to us as we listen to the word of the living God. Why? He's alive. He keeps hope alive. He's present. And his voice is speaking to you and me. And, and, and I believe the spirit of God, again, is doing something powerful and special. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Somebody say that with me. Say the joy of the Lord is our strength. Say it again. Say the joy of the Lord is my strength. Say it with me. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Now, stand up with me if you will. <laughs> Are y'all okay? We do, we do aerobics in here. We do it in many creative ways, right? So, but it's awesome. It's awesome. Do you guys love Harpeth Heights? Amen. Let me ask it again. Do you guys love Harpeth Heights? Amen. Do you want to see Harpeth Heights grow and, and, and reach the community beyond? Amen? Amen. I thank God for the church at Harpeth Heights. I thank God for, the, for, the, for Britwood Baptist Church. I'm in Acts chapter 15. I'll read the first five verses, and then as we read the first five verses, when you sit down, keep your Bible open. Don't close it, because we're going to come back to Acts chapter 15. We're going to learn some more things. We're going to read more verses. We'll give you some on the screen as well. But in Acts chapter 15, and verses 1 through 5, the Bible said, Some men came down from Judea, and they began to teach the brothers, Unless you are circumcised. According to the custom prescribed by Moses, you cannot be saved. After Paul and Barnabas had engaged them in a serious argument and debate, Paul and Barnabas and some others were appointed to go up to the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about this issue. And when they had been sent on their way by the church, they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, describing in details the conversion of the Gentiles. And they brought great joy to all the brothers and sisters. And when they arrived at Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church, the apostles, and note this, the elders. And they reported all that God had done with them. But some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary to circumcise them and to command them to keep the law of Moses. I've asked the surgical uh, building next door to open up because to, I'm just kidding. Are y'all okay? <laughs> Father, I pray that you would take these words that we're going to learn today and etch them through our minds. God, impress them on our hearts and build a plan in our lives that we may walk out in power what you impress us with today in Jesus' name. Somebody say hallelujah. You may be seated. You may be seated. It's been said, if man's greatest need is finances, then Jesus would have come as an economist. It's been said, if man's greatest need is just knowledge, then Jesus would have come as a rabbi, as a teacher only, as Nicodemus called him. It's been said, if the world just need world peace, Jesus would have come as just a peacemaker. 
But Luke chapter 10 and verse, Luke 19 and verse 10 said, Jesus said, I've come to seek and save that which is lost. Man's greatest need is not just economy, it's not just prosperity, it's not just peace within and peace without, and, 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 but man's greatest need is salvation. Man's greatest need is literally salvation. It's to be redeemed, it's to be forgiven, it's to be cleansed, it's to walk in righteousness, it's to represent the kingdom of God on earth as it is in heaven. And that's not tied to what I own. This, my, my righteousness is not tied to my prosperity. My righteousness is not tied to all the things that I've been promoted to. It's not my position. My righteousness is not tied to my possessions. It's tied to the fact that I've been forgiven. By grace, I've been redeemed. That I am a child of God. I'm a son of God. I am a daughter of God. I am a, I belong to the kingdom of God. I have a new heavenly citizenship and I live Live with absolute anticipation of the eternal abundant life of God on earth and also looking forward to what my heaven is like. If that's you, say amen. Amen. So that's our greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation. And no matter how you cut it, there are two types of people on earth. There's the lost at the, and, and there's the saved. I mean, we can, we can talk about a lot of things. There are those who have been forgiven because of the blood of the Lamb. For what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So there's those who have been washed clean. And there's those who choose to live in wickedness and unrighteousness. Two types of people on this earth. Those that have been secured by the salvation given in Christ alone, by Christ alone, for Christ alone, and those who choose to live in their own insecurity, dependent on their own self-righteousness, self-made people, people who think they have to do something to please God. You know, that's the mentality today. There are people out there who think that salvation is a reward for the righteous. Look up here for just a second. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. Salvation is not a reward for the righteous. It's a gift for the guilty. It's not what I can do to get to God. It's what he has done to get to me. Can I say it again? It's not what I can do to get to God. It's what he has done to get to me. Salvation is trading self-dependence, self-righteousness, self-confidence for a Savior who has done it all, is doing it all, and will perfect it all. Are you with me, somebody? That's our salvation. Paul, who's going to be part of this debate, understands that. He understands that fully. He recognized, I used to be one of those Pharisees that did the same thing. I debated for the law of Moses. I debated for the Pharisaic laws, the 613 of them that have been written and have been forced on me. Paul said, I used to be this, but now I'm that. I used to be in bondage, but now I'm free. I used to be tied, but now I am in Christ and I have the freedom that no one can take away. As a matter of fact, I want you to see it because this may represent you. This may represent you. This may represent you and represented me and represented Paul. In Philippians chapter three, I want, I want you to see it on the screen. In Philippians chapter three, and verses 4 and following. I want you to see what Paul is saying and why Paul is so adamant. He is so adamant about the fact that he does not need to let go of the freedom that we find only in Christ. So listen to what he said in Philippians chapter 3. And we'll begin in verse 4. 
He said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4, Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Paul said, circumcised the eighth day of the nation, of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew, born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I am a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, persecuting the church. Regarding righteousness, that is in the law. Hey, I'm blameless, Paul said. Verse 7, but everything that was a gain to me, that is everything he's already given us, I've considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I'm also considered everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of Him, I've suffered the loss of all things and consider them as done. So I may gain Christ and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ Jesus. The righteousness, watch this, from God based on faith. The righteousness from God that is based on faith. There's a couple of points I want to give you this morning. I'd love for you to write them down. Then I'm going to give you a couple of sub-points. Number one, salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Salvation is by faith in Christ alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Now let me give you some history about this passage. Now Paul, you remember now he's changed. Paul now has the mind of Christ. Paul now has a heart after Jesus Christ. He's like a David, a man after God's own heart. Paul can say, Jesus paid it all. And all to him I owe. Amen? And I hope that you can say the same thing. Paul said all these things, righteousness, work, uh, things that I have to do to please God, that I may be affirmed and accepted by God. I've laid all that down because Jesus paid it all. Salvation is only in Christ, by faith in Christ alone. Now here's the history. There's a group of Pharisees. They saw what Paul and Barnabas are doing. Paul and Barnabas have gone through their first journey and they are already planting churches in Cyprus. They're planting churches in Anconium. They're planting churches in Lystra, in Antioch of Pisidia. Gentiles are receiving the gospel. Gentiles are excited about the gospel. Gentiles are moving forward with the power of the Holy Spirit of God. The churches are being filled up with former Jews that have become believers, Gentiles, pagans that have become believers, and, 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 and there's a sense that God is moving in power all through the earth, through the gospel being preached in Christ alone. But there's a, a group of Pharisees who had heard about what God is doing. Watch this now. They've traveled 300 miles. This is what lawful people will do. This is what legalists will do. They will go as far as they can to stop the freedom of the Holy Spirit of God. Are y'all all right? So they've traveled 300 miles to get to the place where the stirring and a burning fire of God. And they said, look, I know that you want to be saved. I know that you're declaring that you are saved. But something is missing from your salvation. What's missing from your salvation, you cannot just be saved by Christ alone. You have to give due reverence and respect to the law of Moses. And then you have to obey the law of Moses. So salvation has to be what Christ has done and what the law of Moses demand. What the law of Moses demand. Now Paul and Barnabas heard about that. 
And they were stirred. The Bible said a serious argument rose up. A serious argument. A serious argument means it was not a minute argument. Why? Because Paul and Barnabas have been freed up from the law. And they've seen the work of God and what God is doing. And they weren't about to allow these Pharisees to invalidate what God is doing among the newly planted churches and the newly followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they brought it up to the disciples and to the elders in Jerusalem. They said, we've traveled all over the place to prove the supernatural signs and wonders and miracles and the salvations that are taking place. This is a major issue in the life of the church. Put down three things. Satan, listen, when you preach salvation in Christ alone, first of all, Satan will attack the very foundation of our faith. Satan will, will, will point the artillery of hell all toward the foundation of what brought you to Jesus Christ. Satan would love to convince you you're not saved. He would love to uproot what you have learned and have been grounded in to reroot something that is not complete, to reroot half truth, to reroot untruth, to bring you to the place of confusion and doubt. That's what Satan does. Satan has a strategy here to divide the church to separate the church, to divide the believers from one another, and to bring about a bloody theological war between the fractions of the church. If he can do that, he will stop the work of God in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had a strategy to go right to the foundation through the law of Moses and say what you're doing and what you've done and what you think has saved you, what Paul and Barnabas have done to bring about a message to you is incomplete. Your foundation is incomplete. Paul and Barnabas said, absolutely not. Now they did not do what most people will do. They did not say, well, I'll tell you what, man, uh, listen, we understand. Paul and Barnabas didn't say, here's what we're going to do. I understand we all have the freedom to interpret the Word of God the way we want to interpret the Word of God. So you just believe any way you want to believe. You interpret, translate any way you want to translate. And you believe your way and we'll believe our way. Absolutely not. There are some issues that you and I can agree to disagree on. These are what we call secondary issues. Things that, how do we serve? How do we, how do we come here and, or, and structure a church or some, some secondary things? But there's some major things that you and I have no right to debate or interpret the way we want to interpret that. And Paul said, the interpretation must be from the word of the living God. Paul and Barnabas said, that's not what God said. Paul and Barnabas said, that's not what the Holy Spirit of God is teaching all of us. Paul and Barnabas are saying, that's not what Christ gave us. Salvation is by the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Can I get a witness this morning? That's salvation. If they said, you do it your way, we do it my way, and we could have a form of Christianity tied to the law, we would have had a Christianity by works, just like Islam, just like Hinduism, a Christianity that says there is more than one God, a Christianity that says Jesus is not the only way, truth, and life, a Christianity that is anti-Christ, and we would have seen Christianity come to an absolute end as an offshoot, 
fruit of a lawful religion that have not known Christ as Messiah. Now these believers thought they've been sincere. They came to Jerusalem and they're really arguing. They're arguing their case. And they said, look, all of our lives, we're now followers of Messiah. And they recognized in order for them to be followers of Messiah Christ, they not only have to say he is the Messiah, they have to yield themselves to say, we no longer have to obey the law of Moses because Christ will complete that law. So now we have to live in the fulfillment of the law through Christ. And they had a hard time saying, we want to do that. They were basically saying, we believe he's Messiah, but we still believe there are traditional laws you have to commit yourself to. And basically they're saying, what's the harm? Peter and Paul and Barnabas, what's the harm? Paul and Barnabas, what's the harm? All of our children have lived in the law. All of our generations have come out of the law. And I can hear Peter say, there is a large harm in here. There's a big harm in that. And what's the harm, Peter? The harm is that we cannot keep that law. Peter said, you remember when he, when, 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 when Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, by the time he got down to hand the Ten Commandments to the people, they were already worshiping the golden calf. We can't keep that law. Nehemiah gives us the last encounter between the people of Israel coming out of Babylon, going back to the new Jerusalem. They couldn't even keep the Sabbath. Peter is going to stand up and argue in just a moment and say, We cannot even keep that law. Why invoke that failure on Gentiles who know now they've been saved by faith alone in Christ alone? So Satan will come at the very foundation of our faith to shake up the very foundation of your faith. Matter of fact, go back to chapter 15. Chapter 15 and look with me as we read together and look what happened in here. Write the second thing down. The enemy not only will attack the foundation of our faith, he will also come against the fullness, the fullness of our faith. Look with me in verse 6. In verse 6, the Bible says, The apostles and the elders gathered to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers and sisters, you're aware that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles would hear the gospel message, And believe, and God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just also as he did to us. He made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts, watch this now, by faith. Now then, why are you testing God by putting a yoke on the disciples' necks that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus. This is powerful. In the same way that they are. Now you would have thought, Peter, who now is, uh, is advocating for Paul and Barnabas. Peter stood up in the council against those Pharisees who want to invoke lawful things. Not only salvation in Christ alone, but salvation in Christ alone and the keeping of the law. And Peter stood up. And you would have thought, Peter would have said, as a former Hebrew himself, they need to be saved. We want them to be saved. We want them to be saved the way that we have gotten saved. You would have thought, Peter, that's what we would have said. But that's not what Peter said. Peter said, God saved them. And purified them by faith. 
The faith that he put in their hearts. Folks, we're not only saved by faith, we're purified by faith. And Peter said, because of that, we need to be saved the way they have gotten saved. In Christ alone, by grace alone, through the faith that God gives us to hear him, to respond to him, to obey him, and to come to him. And Peter said, it's time for us to do what God is doing among the Gentiles. You see, that's what the enemy would do. He wants to attack the very foundation of our faith. He wants to attack the very fullness of our faith. And Peter said, I'm telling you, the fullness of our faith is found in the way that God had given it to the Gentiles. It's not Jesus plus something. You know, today, I'm, and, and throughout the, really the, the history of our ministry, I've always encountered precious people, people who love God, people who want to serve God, spend their lifetime doubting their salvation. Because somewhere along the line, they live in fear, they live in high expectations of what they think they could do for God instead of living with God. Instead of living with God. And then spend their lifetime doubting what Christ has done. When you doubt your salvation. And you have already believed that Christ has done it all. Paid it all. And he had already come out of the grave. And he was resurrected. He put resurrection life. You're not just doubting your salvation. You're doubting the work of God on the cross. I'm here, I'm here to tell you this morning. Satan is a liar. If you have been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of the lamb, saved by the blood of the lamb. I want you to know you could be steadfast. Watch this now. Secure in the blood of the lamb. You're secure. Satan will attack the very foundation of our faith. He'll attack the very fullness of our faith. Listen, because salvation is in Christ alone. And thirdly, he'll attack the very freedom that you have because of your faith. The freedom that you have because of your faith. Paul says, I know what I used to be like. I used to be tied. I used to be in bondage. I used to be in chains to the law. And Paul said, I've done it all. Philippians chapter 3, we've read. I was a Hebrew. I was circumcised. I was persecuting the church. I was doing all these things. And then he gets to a place in Galatians chapter 2. Watch, this is awesome. In Galatians chapter 2, and he issues a confession. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16. In the book of Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, listen to what Paul said. He said, this is where now I'm living. I'm living in the freedom of my salvation. Watch what he said. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. Can I get an amen? Listen, so we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order, watch this, to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Aren't you glad you're saved? Aren't you glad you've been redeemed? Aren't you glad you're a follower of Jesus Christ? Aren't you glad that your foundation is solid in Christ? Aren't you glad that you have the fullness of God in you and you have the fullness of God in your hands and you're living with the fullness of God, what he's done. The word of God is perfect and complete because of Christ that has given us his, his message and he's saying salvation is by faith in Christ. This is the inerrant, infallible, listen to me, inspired word of the living God. Amen. Amen. 
And salvation is found only in Christ. In Christ alone. In Christ alone. I love that. Lest you think this is a secondary topic. I want you to understand. This is a major, major debate in here. Because today there's over four and a half billion people. That have chosen to follow. Watch this now. This debate. There's four and a half billion people today. That don't believe that Jesus is God. They follow other religions. They have multi-gods that they worship. Why? Because they're stealing, they're still tied to what they think they could do for God to accept them. That's why they reject Christ. Other religions, they reject Christ as God because they don't want to acknowledge the work of Christ on the cross. If they do, they'll have to say he is God and he is sufficient. Amen. If they do, they'll have to say he's the substitutionary atonement for the sins of this Damascus boy and for the sin of every one of us in this house. Amen. But Jesus is enough. And Jesus has paid it all. Amen. So first of all, salvation is by faith in Christ alone. Secondly, salvation is by faith. Watch this now. For Christ alone. For Christ alone. For Christ alone. I want you to see it in here. This is absolutely awesome. So I'm going back to Acts chapter 15. And watch this now. The debate is almost over. Because now both sides have presented their cases. Both sides have already declared what they believe. Both sides have got to the place where they recognize, okay, my case is before the elders, before the apostles, and before God. And now something happens. Look with me in verse 12. The whole assembly became silent and listened to Barnabas. And Paul described all the signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles after they stopped speaking. I love this. James, that's the half-brother of Jesus, responded. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. Simon has reported how God first intervened to take from the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it's written. So, so far... So far, everybody presented what they've encountered in Christ. But there's something about to happen. Peter got up and he said, brothers and sisters, we need to know what the Word said. Anytime somebody comes to you and said, I believe it says this, I believe it says that, and they presume on the Word of God, you need to go back and find out what the Word said. Amen? We need to be grounded in the Word of God, and here's what Peter James said, here's what Peter said. After these things, I will return. And now they're quoting Amos. And rebuild David's fallen tent. And I will rebuild its ruins. And set it up again. So the rest of humanity, that's Jews and Gentiles, may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles, who are called by my name, declares the Lord, who makes these things known from a long ago. Verse 19. Therefore, here's my judgment. We should not cause difficulties for those among the Gentiles who turn to God. But instead, we should write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from eating anything that had been strangled from the blood. For since ancient times, Moses has had those to proclaim him in every city. And every Sabbath day, he is read aloud in the synagogue. What's been happening in here? Here's what's happening. What's happening is the fact that Peter stood up. And James testified, the judge of all cases is the word of the living God. God brought Gentiles to Christ. 
Why should we not accept them? James said. So he's saying, we acknowledge what God has done. And I love what it says there. They all stood silent. It means even those who argued, they didn't end up continually in arguments. They recognized we presented our case. But since the word of God said what it ought to say, we're convinced and we're persuaded that what our brothers Paul, Barnabas, and now Peter are saying. So they were willing to be convinced. They didn't just sit there and argue over and over so they could win the argument. And the word of God said Gentiles will come through Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit of God, and the message of the word of God. Friend, salvation is in Christ alone. Salvation is for Christ alone. What do I mean by that? It means for the faith that God has put in us. Now that we're kingdom citizens, we live for Christ on earth. The faith that he's put in me to believe in him is the faith that I live by to praise him. The faith that he's put in me to believe in him is the faith that I live by to testify of him and to praise him. I want to give you the last scripture that I want to close. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. I want you to see something here. And I'm gonna, if I'm, we're gonna put a couple of verses in here, and I'm just gonna read a couple of verses to you. And then I'm, that will be my invitation to you. Romans chapter 10. I want you to see the apostle Paul leaves. He goes back when he writes the constitution of Christianity in Romans chapter 10. He affirms the message that he's preaching. He affirms the message that he's preaching. Listen to what he said. Romans chapter 10. And listen to what he said in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Since Moses writes about the righteousness that is from the law, the one who does these things will live by them. But watch this. I love this. But the righteousness that comes from faith speaks like this. Don't say in your heart. Who will go up to heaven, that is to bring Christ down. Or who will go down into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. He's finished the work. He's finished the work. On the contrary, what does it say? The message is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the message of faith that we proclaim. And I love this. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Amen? God brings you to the church at Harpeth Heights. You hear the word of God being preached. You've been led by worship into the presence of God. And God said to you, let it rest. Come to me, all you laden heavy burden, and I'll give you rest. Come to me and understand, I love you. I've given my life for you. I've died to forgive you of your sins. There is nothing you need to do to please me. What you have to do is accept me by the very faith that I'm putting in you today. Call me Lord, and watch this now, and I will demonstrate my righteousness through you. I will help you live righteously. I will help you live up to the expectations that I set for my children on earth. I will encourage your heart. Would you stand up with me, everyone? When you came this morning, you've received a card that said, there's a decision that I need to make. You know, that moment in history was a decision moment. This moment in history today is a decision moment for you. You've been debating God, what can I do to cleanse myself to come to you? And God is saying, I can cleanse you. God, what can I do 
to make you Lord. And God said, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, God raised me from the dead. You will be my child. You'll be saved. Is it that simple, Fadi? It's that simple. If I make it complicated, I won't be true to the word of the living God. I gave my life to Jesus because I worked so hard to please the church, to please the people around me and their expectations. When I came to a moment of surrender, I said, God, I need you. It's you and I. I'm going to give you my life today. Friend, what you need to do today is lay down your expectations, lay down everyone else's expectations of you, and come to Christ and let Him fill you, give you a foundation, give you His fullness and His freedom. And that comes when you say, Jesus, come into my heart. I believe you've died for me. I love you. Dad, Mom, this is the day of your salvation. Would you bow your head with me, every head bowed, every eye closed? If you want to receive Jesus as Lord of your life, I invite you to, receive, to pray this simple prayer right now. Quietly in your heart. You've been fighting this prayer for a long time, and it's time. It's time. Pray like this. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. Say this. Forgive me of my sinful righteousness. And Lord, I want your righteousness. Now say this, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Come into my heart and forgive me of my sins and give me your nature. I want to live in your righteousness. I want to live with you. I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now look up here for just a second. We're not going to play games. If you made this decision this morning, I want you to take that card and I want you to mark on it. I've made a decision to receive Jesus. And our staff will follow up with you today. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in what He's done in you and all around us. Amen? Amen.